Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org T's and C's apply This is a game day podcast from TalkSport Hello and welcome to the Game Day Premier League podcast from TalkSport with me Sam Matterface Trevor Sinclair the former QPR West Ham and Manchester City winger and TalkSport's Alex Crook Big Sam's broad grin is back with a bang as the Baggies nab a point at Anfield in classic Allardyce style Next can the Baggies boing Bielsa? Jose's defence mechanism breaks at Wolves. Ten days ago, they were hoping to be top at Christmas. Now, they're fifth. Arsenal give Frank the Blues as Chelsea fall to a third defeat in four and Lampard welcomes Terry and an inform Aston Villa on Monday. Good luck, fella. West Ham somehow draw with Brighton and David Moyes is still furious and so is Sean Dyche and it's got nothing to do with the fact that he is scheduled to have to watch his team play Sheffield United on Tuesday night. Bruno Fernandes and Jamie Vardy dominate Leicester and Manchester United. Shock. And Everton win again. All the reviews and previews with a bit of festive fun on the podcast with about as much creativity as West Brom. The game day Premier League pod for from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Hello, Trevor Sinclair. How are you? I'm very well, Sam. Hello. Merry Christmas. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you and to Alex Crook, who, uh, you know, it's changing of the season. We're heading into 2021, but you're still wearing 2020's one and only outfit. Nice to see you with your roll neck <laughs> on. You okay? I'm good. It's nice to be back at work today and away from the bar, to be honest. The, the, the bar at home, I should stress, because we can't go to an actual bar. All right. But I've made up for it. I've made up for it. Oh, dear. Okay. All right. Well, maybe a dry January is the solution to your problems. <laughs> I did contemplate that, and then I decided no. <laughs> dry January could be a, a problem for quite a few of the Premier League clubs, the way things went this weekend. Uh, Shall we have a look back at... We've got loads to do today. Uh, Ten Premier League games that have happened, and... 10 that are about to happen live and exclusive only on TalkSport. On the return, Perez round the back, low cross into the centre, Vardy, oh, what a finish! What a finish, what an equaliser from Jamie Vardy, the first goal he's ever scored on Boxing Day. Aston Villa 3, Crystal Palace 0, and this will probably be game over now as far as Villa are concerned with three goal difference now El Ghazi has got the goal finish Fulham nil Southampton nil a fourth straight draw for Fulham but a point not enough to lift the hosts out of the bottom three will be Xhaka with the left or Lacazette with the right two minutes before half time and it's Xhaka who strikes it and it's an outstanding free kick Bennett Xhaka often maligned at Arsenal but that was absolutely magnificent and Newcastle have given it away Cancelo in the 18 yard box steers it across oh. and Ferran Torres will tap it in from eight yards out great 
penalty right in the top corner from Banford. Ten for the season for him. Five got at Ellen Road. It's Leeds one, Burnley nil. Vast for simple decisions, and live the old one comes against us, and it's a wrong simple decision. So of course, very very frustrating. Graham Potter will be distraught. His team haven't won here. As for David Moyes, he'll just be happy his team have got out of here with a point. Finished. West Ham two, Brighton two. Ginormous goal for West Brom. It's Liverpool one, West Brom one. Semi Ajayi with a header which rattled the right hand crossbar. When you come to get a point at Manchester City or Liverpool, that's the bonus point that can ultimately keep you up if you do that right. Once more, it's failed for Spurs tonight. They tried to close out a game for 89 minutes and they failed. Wolves have got the deserved equaliser. It's finished here at Molyneux. Wolves won, Spurs won. Ah, yes, you can download our app and you'll be able to get all of the festive fun. There's so much football for you on TalkSport, TalkSport 2, and exclusively via our app as well, some fixtures, because there, there's so many of them, we can't possibly put them all on the radio. Uh, and that includes Chelsea versus Aston Villa, Everton, Manchester City, Palace, Leicester, Wolves, Man United, Brighton, Arsenal, West Brom versus Leeds, Southampton, West Ham, Burnley versus Sheffield United, Tottenham versus Fulham. And where Newcastle and Liverpool are concerned, it's where Trevor and I will end up at the end of Wednesday having done three games in three days. Uh, let's start by looking back on uh, Sunday though because look, Big Sam Allardyce was the last manager to win at Anfield in the league. They are 67 games unbeaten since then Liverpool but they didn't get the job done over Big Sam's West Brom and Semi Ajay took full advantage, Trevor. I mean, it was a bit of a masterclass in the fact that West Brom didn't really do anything, did they, for the entire game? At one stage, I think Liverpool had 82% possession. Yeah, yeah, the possession was uh, outrageous and it literally was parking the bus. You can understand why Sam's gone with that approach because they can't compete on a level with Liverpool and the talent that Liverpool have got, even though they've got injuries. And uh, I'm sure West Brom fans were thinking, what's going on here? This is boring. This is not really what we wanted to get as a manager. But when you see the end product and they defended well, uh, they stuck together, they had good team spirit, nicked a goal to equalise. And when you when you look at the result, leaving Anfield with a, with a point and 1-1 draw, you've got to say it's a fantastic job that Sam's done. And all the players must have bought into his ideas, his ideals for the game. And uh, yeah, they've achieved a, gr- a great... Um, performance and well not so much great performance but certainly a great result and uh, I'm sure they'll be going back to West Brom happy Uh, well West Brom fans who are not happy about the Sam Allardyce performance will keenly point out to you on Twitter immediately at the end of the final (laughs) whistle uh, that they also got a point at Manchester City when Slavin Bilic was in charge and it is ironic isn't it that having picked up just one point from their opening six away league games this season the two points that they have since earned have been away at Liverpool and away at Manchester City crook yeah, then they also played quite well against Manchester United at Old Trafford, but unlucky to lose 1-0. They lost 1-0 at home to Tottenham. Uh, another game they could have got a point out of. So actually their performances against the, the, the bigger sides in the Premier League, the, the more established teams, Chelsea, of course, set three all, having been 3-0 up, suggests that they can go toe-to-toe with the big guns and, and can make it difficult for those teams to play their way through them. It was a bit like watching a horse race where um, one horse charges off and goes 25 lengths clear and just makes itself a sitting duck for the rest of the field to reel it in. That's what West Brom did, basically. Let Liverpool go charging off in the distance, soaked up the pressure, and then hit them with a sucker punch at the end. I still think it's a squad that needs investment, but we know that Big Sam is a manager who is very good at getting the maximum out of 
the minimum, if you like, and he'll keep doing that. And if he can add some players in January, he will give themselves a fighting chance of staying up. As Reshman Chowdhury boldly uh, reminded us on uh, game day on Saturday, Trevor, Alex Crook on the podcast last week said the title race is over. Liverpool have already won it. Um, but they failed to win six of their 15 Premier League games this season already, which is as many as they did in the entire uh, of last campaign. Um, the gap at the top isn't that big, is it? He, I think he can be forgiven this year because it is a ridiculously bizarre and strange and peculiar season. I'm going to forgive him because I was almost in the same um, side. I was, I was almost thinking the same thing. Liverpool, literally, they, they look unstoppable. Um, City was struggling. United were inconsistent at times. Tottenham had dropped points. And Everton and Leicester, they realistically going to challenge Liverpool. And I was thinking myself... You know, if, if they get another couple of wins soon and open that gap up, that is it. It's literally season over. But the way that the, the, the fixtures and the, and the games have gone, it's wide open. It is anybody's to take. And I couldn't tell you. I mean, listen, we all know that Manchester City, if Aguero's fit and firing, can get on a run and go 10, 15 games and win them all. But we're still waiting. And um, yeah, I mean, I think Liverpool are favourites, but... It's a strange season, so I'll let you off, Cooker. I wouldn't be too surprised if Manchester City are there or thereabouts in the not-too-distant future. I have been saying it for a few weeks, haven't I, Crook? Yeah. Yeah, but last time I checked, they're still sixth. Yeah, and, it's a, <laughs> and, and how many points back are they from the top of the table? I don't let the facts get in the way of it. <laughs> Six and with a game in hand. So let's see what happens over the next couple of weeks. Um, right, uh, They've got uh, Newcastle on Wednesday night. Uh, Liverpool, we'll look at that in just a second. Uh, for West Brom, it's Leeds United next for them, live on the TalkSport app. Uh, let's turn our attention to a game that finished in the last few minutes. We're recording this on Sunday night, so uh, it finished in the last few minutes, and it was uh, a, a, an amazing end as well. My dinner arrived at 80-minute uh, 80 mark, right? And I was thinking, oh, I could just sit up here and eat it and not watch the last 10 minutes. And I thought, well, it's only 1-0, and they've been defending for their lives since the 57th second of the game so uh, anything could happen and it did and Martin Tyler on commentary for Sky and Alan Smith were constantly saying over and over again it's a very long time to defend a 1-0 lead and I'm sorry, but I, I I thought that Tottenham could have been a lot more adventurous than that and I felt like in the end they got their just desserts Trevor Yeah, I think you know, just looking at a different game that happened today you almost think the same about West Ham with their negative lineup, I thought Tottenham should have gone for it. They got a great start. And Dumbele, I seen him shooting actually in the warm up, and I thought his finishing was outstanding. I thought, didn't know he had that in the locker. And then two minutes into the game, bang, and Dumbele scores. So, probably a lesson for some pros there. Make sure you, if, you, if you're a goal scoring midfielder, go and have a little practice before mm. the game kicks off. But yeah, they got a great start, and I thought they're going to kick on here and, and, and dominate this game. But I think you've got to give it to Nuno side. They've got great spirit, they don't know how to, they don't give in. And uh, they went right to the end. Uh, as you said, they got a, they got a really hard-fought draw there. And yeah, I think they deserved it because Tottenham lacked that real creativity and, and, and a real will to go and win the game by more than one goal. But if you're sitting on a lead from, from minute one, I mean, you're inviting the other team to go and score. And if it does happen as late as it is, there's no, there's no way for you to react to it. And you've dropped two points. And when you're in a situation where you've lost the last two, that's quite, it's quite damning really, isn't it? Yeah, I had to do a double take at one stage and work out if Jose Mourinho was still in charge or if it was Bill Murray because um, it was Groundhog Day for Tottenham. We've seen this performance time and again. We saw it <laughs> We saw it against Crystal Palace. We saw it to a certain extent against Liverpool when they conceded late on. 
And I think it was quite a cowardly performance uh, when you've got players like Son, Harry Kane, and Dombele, players who can take the game to the opposition to sit back on a 1-0 lead away from home against a Wolverhampton Wanderers team who are full of endeavour, but I don't think it's the Wolves team that we've seen in the past couple of seasons. I think they're going through a period of transition. They are, yeah. The game was there to go and be won. He didn't do that. And I think in many ways, the worst thing that happened to Tottenham was their capitulation against West Ham because up until that point, they had been a bit more free-flowing. All of a sudden, they can see three goals in nine minutes and Jose Mourinho the natural pragmatist that he is goes back to being a defence-minded manager, a cautious manager, and it's going to cost them. You, you don't win trophies by sitting on a 1-0 lead away away from home against Wolves. They need to be braver. And I think one of the senior players, actually, probably Harry Kane, needs to go to him and say, Gaffer, please take the shackles off. We've got players here to go and win matches. Yeah, but as you well know, um, after watching the documentary, the only thing that Harry Kane can say when he's asked to, to lead the team talk is, come on, boys, come on, we can do this, boys. Yes, come on. That's it. That's all That's all anyone in the Spurs dressing room ever says. Look, I, I, I am slightly disappointed in, in their approach because it's got echoes of very much of the second spell at Chelsea where he played a better brand of football, as you've mentioned at the beginning of the season. And then something happens and he reverts to the type. And it happened against Tottenham. I think it was New Year's Day uh, in the season that they won the league under him in the second spell where Harry Kane ripped them apart. They won 5-3 Spurs and Chelsea never really used to lose at White Hart Lane. And then from that moment on, they went to constrict mode. And once they went to constrict mode, yes, they got over the line. They won the league with a a twice-taken penalty uh, by Eden Hazard against Crystal Palace. But... They limped over the line then and it didn't. Then he never really got it back again. Yeah, I think that's his go-to formation and his go-to setup um, for Jose. You know, obviously uh, pragmatic, part of the boss, all, all the rest of it that's been, that he's been called. But what I would say is maybe he loses a bit of trust in his players. Maybe he trusts his players too much and then something like uh, the Tottenham game happens or something like the West Ham game happens and it changes his opinion of certain players. And I think he just goes maybe. to that safety mode of thinking right well I'm not going to get I'm not going to ship goals again and that's what he ends up doing and it's a shame really because Tottenham were quite exciting at the beginning of the season West Ham you've already alluded to the fact there was a negative formation Trevor and you've got your head in your hands already Uh, I mean 2-2 against Brighton actually after watching that game for 90 minutes as I did I mean that's an absolute bonus getting something out of that match because the first half they were absolutely abysmal West Ham well, I think you look at the lineup. You know, they had two attacking players on the pitch, West Ham, and um, I think they probably did show a little bit too much respect to Brighton. But for me, I'm looking at David Moyes and thinking, why has he done that? So he's tra- he's training with the boys. Obviously, they're coming off the, the back of the last game, and I'm thinking the forward players. They've got a game against Southampton coming up. They're looking leggy in training this week. We need to try and protect them a little bit. So that's my way of thinking. So I'm thinking he's gone part the bus a little bit, play a little bit pragmatic for the first half, 60 minutes. And then if we can keep them out, which they were two minutes away from doing in the first half, keeping it to 0-0, zero, zero, without really Brighton creating massive chances, I think that would have been uh, objective uh, done. And then go into the second phase of the game where you bring on new creative players and go and be too strong for Brighton and win the game. It didn't quite work out like that, but... I have to say, I quite liked his plan because I think it's planning ahead. It's not just looking at that game. It's looking at, I know that game's important, but you've also got to be aware that there's other games coming up very soon and that fixed a pile up. And I think that I was quite wise from Moyes. It's just a shame that a lot of the fans got onto his back on social media and also that they didn't actually execute the, the plan. 
After the game, uh, David Moyes said this, we saw a poor West Ham in the first half, but also a good Brighton team. They made it difficult for us. We thought it was the right time to have a look at a back five again, but I felt we didn't press them well enough. Lanzini has been an important player for us in recent years, and I'm hoping to get him back to the levels he has been because he's a talented player and we need that. What does he mean, Alex? Is, is he suggesting that maybe Lanzini hasn't contributed as much as maybe he would have hoped this season? He hasn't contributed anything other than that spectacular goal um, to get the equaliser against Spurs. Obviously, Lanzini is someone whose career has been stunted badly by injuries. I do wonder about his application and his endeavour as well. I think that's David Moyes just trying um, to get the Lanzini that West Ham fans were, were witnessing two or three years ago. But I can understand his frustration because he's one of a number of number 10s, a number of playmakers that they've got that, that don't deliver on a consistent enough basis. Pablo Fornells has been a little bit better this season. Yarmolenko's still fleets in and out. Obviously, Felipe Anderson is out on loan. So that they've spent a lot of money on number 10s in recent seasons and none of them have, have really been able to step up to the plate and be the player that they want them to be. And, and maybe that was one of the reasons that David Moyes did go so defensive-minded uh, against Brighton. They're still without their talisman, Mikel Antonio, is taking a long time to get fit. Uh, and they, he doesn't feel they have that creative spark or that Lanzini can provide that on a consistent enough basis. Should we talk about the uh, the Lewis Dunk goal? Because I think um, David Moyes was pretty upset about it being allowed to count. Yeah. Bearing in mind that it appeared to hit the bottom of his arm. Now, the law is pretty clear. If it hits the arm in any way, shape or form, in the immediate action before a goal, it should be chalked off. Now, obviously that's not deliberate, but... I mean, maybe it's not been communicated properly to anyone. It's certainly that's the way that David Moyes felt afterwards. But that, that probably should have been ruled out, shouldn't it? And VAR looked at it as well and, and still still gave it. Yeah, I, I was I was shocked. Disappointed, but um pretty shocked that VAR um couldn't put their look at their rules and actually make a proper decision and the right decision on that goal. It, it clearly is is unintentional, but it clearly hits Dunk's arm and then it lands on the floor and he volleys it in from six yards. So the immediate part is there. It hit, it's 100% at his arm when you look at the slow-mo. So I can't understand why that is given. It seems like they change the rules to suit certain things and certain scenarios that have happened in the past. But then when it happens now, they're not actually applying the law. So for me, I was really frustrated. I'm sure West Ham fans, players, and obviously... Um, David Moyes was very frustrated with that. But just going back to the number 10s, uh, obviously with Lanzini, I played, um, I played obviously a forward player and I had five knee operations and it's very difficult to get back to mm. the kind of agility, the pace, uh, the freedom that you have pre having a knee operation. And I had to adapt my game. Lanzini's just got to find a way where he can adapt his game, maybe simplify it a little bit. Um, and, and try and find his lane again because if he doesn't he's always going to be searching for that Lanzini of yesteryear and it, it just won't be there uh, Just to recap on, on the handball law so that we're 100% clear on it the IFAB issued this reminder going into this particular season that a player cannot score a goal with their arm even if it's accidental and an accidental handball by an attacking player or teammate will only be penalised if it occurs immediately before a goal or goal-scoring <laughs> opportunity. If an attacking player accidentally touches the ball with their hand or arm and then scores a goal, or the ball goes to another attacking player and they immediately score, 
This is a handball offence. How on earth has that goal not been ruled out? Whether you like it or not, by the way, I don't think it really makes much of a difference and, and, and Dunk couldn't do anything to get out of the way of it. But by the letter of the law, not even by the letter of the law, the law states that that is not to be allowed. How has it been allowed? Well, it, it, it's ridiculous. And we, we're talking about VAR week in, week out. And it wasn't even the, the worst decision, in my opinion, this weekend. The worst decision was the goal that Burnley had chalked off oh, in the game oh. against Leeds. So something needs to be done. Actually, on, on Darren Ben's boot room, and I challenge you as well, Trevor Sinclair, um, I understand why in the past ex-players haven't wanted to become referees, don't want to go out on the pitch and get abused by supporters, <laughs> abused by people they used to play with. Come but, become a referee, Trev, come on. That'd be no, fun. <laughs> but surely we would be better suited having in the VAR room former players yes. who understand the game. And you don't need to go on the pitch, you can sit in the ivory tower, away from everybody's view, and just help make the decisions because this bunch of referees are utterly hopeless. I don't think that's yeah. fair. I think utterly hopeless is out. Is probably over the top for the referees. I do. I think the law is a nightmare. I think the law is a nightmare. 178 changes or whatever it's been in the last five years. But I think you're, Stuart Pearce has been asking for this for ages. VAR rooms yeah. should be populated by people who have played the game. Yeah, I think Mike Dean's got to look at this again um, and the people in there. They need a little bit of help. Just a little bit of directing um, because... Players are so clever and they're getting clever and it's really difficult to pick up on some of the things that players do if you've not been in that scenario and played the game at that kind of level, at a real elite level. And yeah, they're pulling the, they're pulling the wool over referees' eyes and, and, and the referees are getting abused for it and it, it's not right. We, we want the right and correct decision at the end of it. And I think if they had a few ex-players in there, you know, they can select it from whoever, uh, a panel from whoever... But if they could get some ex-players in there, I think it would make their job a lot easier. And hopefully we'd be able to uh, maybe educate them a little bit on certain things. Uh, Crook has already mentioned Leeds Burnley. Uh, he did the game for TalkSport International. Uh, go through that major decision, which of course defined the game in the end. Well, two big errors. Um, first of all, it's not a foul. Um, so uh, Ben Mee has been penalised for a foul on the right, goalkeeper, yeah. Meslier. Uh, the ball then ricochets for Ashley Barnes, who on the swivel, turns it into the net. Really good finish, actually. Yeah, very um, good. But it wasn't a foul. If anything, it was a foul by Meslier, who actually need Ben Mee in the back. So how that can be a foul by Ben Mee, nobody knows. But the second mistake that uh, the referee made was that he blew his whistle immediately to give the free kick. What he should have done is allow the play to reach a natural conclusion, i.e. the ball hitting the back of the net, and then VAR could have intervened. Because he blew the whistle, VAR couldn't do anything about it. But I suppose one of the things we criticise referees for now is for allowing the VAR to take the strain and not making decisions. He obviously had the strength of his own conviction here and wanted to make a decision. I mean, he got it wrong, but at least he <laughs> he had the strength of his own conviction uh, to decide that this event happened and he was going to intervene. So, I, mean, I, I think we've... For, for me, Sammy, you know, if you look, I was watching that game and I was shocked when I seen that decision. One, I was shocked that a great goal by Barnes was chalked off because it was a superb finish. I oh, have to what say. a finish! Really, a finish. really good finish. He had defenders on the line and everything. He literally posted stamp on the turn. But also, if you're not sure about a collision, for me, Ben Mees took one in the back um, for nothing. There, he's been brave. He probably knows because of the flight of the ball. So it's a penalty, then, right? Listen, whether it is or it isn't. I think the fact 
that the ball was struck with literally the next phase of play, mm. it didn't really matter. If the referee doesn't blow his whistle, because Ben Mee's looking at the ball, the ball's coming straight at him and the keeper comes through the back of him. I actually think the keeper gets something on the ball. He kind of gets a little bit of uh, action on the ball. It lands at Barnes's, uh, like in, in Barnes's area. He swivels and finishes an absolutely delicious strike. The referee's got every right to say, you know what, I'm just going to let this roll and then let VAR have, to have a look at it. But I, I was watching that game and I actually thought he was very homey for Leeds. A lot of the decisions I Did thought you? went for Leeds. And yeah, I thought I could... I, Barnes he was poor. But yeah, he, he just he came across like he was a real homer referee. I'd actually only ever seen him once before and that was on Wednesday night when I did, was it Wednesday night or Tuesday night when I did uh, Brentford versus Newcastle? You know what it's like over this period. You never know what day it is. Um, <laughs> but he could have, so so basically the problem is he's blown his whistle. That's the, that's, the, that's the problem. Once he blows his whistle, the VAR can't do anything about the goal because obviously it's yeah. happened when the ball is dead. But thinking about it, what he could have done to make up for his horrendous error, or the VAR could have done to make up for his horrendous error, uh, could have been to say, hold on a second, you blew the whistle for a foul on Ben Mee, but actually it was a foul mm. by Melier, so give a penalty yep. and everything will be okay. Yep, that would have been uh, a compromise yep. solution, yeah. shall we say. He didn't. I don't uh, think it would have been factual, though. I don't think it would be because I actually think Melier yeah. got something on the ball when he came out. Yeah, that's, that's so all right. Just because you get set on the ball with your hand doesn't mean you can then knee someone in the back and take out yeah, half but their I think spine. You're going to start making two wrong decisions to make a right one. We're going down okay. a slippery Trev, slope. There. Trev, thank you for for that. You've just reset my moral compass. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, let's get on to Saturday. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Yeah, Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays previews to come. But let's have a quick look at what happened on Saturday. Um, I suppose we should start with Arsenal against Chelsea and Arsenal winning by three uh, goals to one. Who wants to take this one? I'll start. I thought you might. Um, No, I had a call from my nephew actually earlier. He's in the Met Police and he's been out on a missing persons all day looking for Timo Werner. Hasn't been seen uh, since he was spotted in Fulham around about October. (laughs) Very good. You've been waiting for that one, haven't you? (laughs) 
on a serious note, it's a problem, isn't it? Um, I feel a bit sorry for, for Werner. He's admitted that he's struggling to to adapt to the Premier League. No goals in 10 games. Hauled off at half-time. Frank Lampard chucking him under a bit of a bus, really, by saying he didn't give us enough on or off the ball. It's difficult immediately to see a way back for, for Timo Werner. But £250 million spent. Seventh in the table, can't buy a win, beaten by Arsenal's kids. If this was any other Chelsea manager who didn't have his playing history, I think serious questions would be being asked right now, Frank Lampard. Well, serious questions probably will be asked if they don't get points against Aston Villa and Manchester City in the upcoming games. Um, and then that is a worry. That Both those games are at home and they tend to turn up in big games, Chelsea. Um but, I mean, I think he's right to be a little bit concerned. The vibe that I'm getting isn't great, to be honest with you, Trevor. Yeah, I think I think Frank and Roman have got a really good relationship and it will be done in a way which is civil if, if he does release Frank of his uh, duties. But I think there's a little bit of a way to go before that I was going to say, we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves, aren't we? I mean, we... What, yeah. He, need, well, he needs a bit is, more support than that, doesn't he? I mean, he's had one transfer window where he could buy players. Maybe if he's offered a, a, a couple of extras in the in the January transfer window, that would help him. He didn't have to make the most of that transfer window. It's a bit like when you send the kids <laughs> to Hamleys. <laughs> I was going to say that, but you can obviously see that Sam's got a very um, nice touch for Chelsea there. What I will say, though, is I thought Frank's first season... Um, with the, the squad that he had, I thought he did it exceptionally well. I think it's almost complicated it too much for him having so many choices, especially in that uh, attacking midfielder's role. And uh, Frank struggling with his, possibly with his man management of his rotation of his players to try and keep everybody happy. And in the end, there's not a lot of happy players in that squad at the moment. And it looks like that's the way it's coming across in their performances. Good win for Arsenal. They needed that. It's their second in 11 Premier League games. All, all not all right, just because they've managed to, to, to beat Chelsea. But certainly they've got games now upcoming, which they should win, Crook. Yeah, but it's an interesting conundrum now um, for Mikel Arteta. I've been advocating for a while that, that the kids who've served them so well in the Europa League should be given the chance in the Premier League because the senior players have let them down over the course of the season so far. Probably more by necessity, the kids get a chance, they deliver. I think it would be disappointing now if the likes of Aubameyang and David Luiz, etc., are put straight back in the team. I think the likes of Saka and Smithrow and certainly Martinelli, who was excellent, ah, have earned brilliant. the right now to try and to try and make the shirt their own. But it's a big decision for Mikel Arteta. If you, if you start leaving out Aubameyang on a regular basis, all of a sudden they could be Mesut Ozil part two. Um, Leicester City 2, Manchester United 2 was the lunchtime kickoff on Boxing Day. I was there for that one. Spoke to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer afterwards. Um, and uh, he was a little disappointed about losing two points in that game. Uh, Trevor, you were alongside me for that match. I mean, yeah. it was a pretty even match, really. But I think because they got themselves in front with 10 minutes to go and they conceded at the end, they were uh, a bit disappointed not to walk away with all three. Yeah, I think it was a mistake personally, uh, by Oli with his team selection. I think you look at what Anthony Martial brought to that Manchester United team in the number nine position, and I don't think he's bringing enough. He's, his consistency is not there. Correct. He seems like he's a selfish player, not a, not a team player. And then all of a sudden, we were there, Sam, when Cavani came on, it was a completely different attitude from the team. Not that they couldn't get it over the line and get the three points, but the quality that he brought to that Manchester United side was 
incredibly different to what Martial, not just in possession, but out of possession with his closing down, with his intelligence, with his football IQ. It was it was a breath of fresh air for me. And yeah, I think Oli's got to take responsibility for his, his sele- team selection. I know that he's thinking maybe I'm going to protect Cavani because he played uh, the majority of the game in the last game. But for me, he looks fit as a fiddle. And we said it on the day, Sam. He looked fit and he looked ready and he, he looked hungry to do well. Yeah, and he, he made a massive impact when coming on in that game. And he has made a big impact whenever coming off the substitutes bench. I wonder whether or not Oli actually thinks he's better coming off the bench than he is starting matches. But, uh, I mean, he offers so much more than Martial in terms of movement and and options for others in, in that team. Um, I just wonder whether or not, I mean, he was saving maybe for the Wolves game on, on Tuesday night, which is live on TalkSport. But he, either way, he, he obviously is a, a, a cracking player, but he is 33. And we've mentioned it on this podcast before, Crook, that Martial probably isn't good enough to win the title as, as the main striker. Cavani's 33, so that means they need to buy someone. And it's going to have to be someone who can score goals on a regular basis at the Aguero levels. At, uh, um, I don't know, uh, who's the top scorer? Calvert-Lewin level. Oh, maybe it's him. No, I don't think Dominic Calvert-Lewin's good enough either to win titles, to be honest. I, I think he's an excellent player, but not quite that level. There's a certain Erling Haaland, who I know Trevor is, is keen to get to the Etihad. And apparently, speaking to our German expert, uh, Andy Brassel a couple of weeks ago, he does have a release clause of around about 65 million euros in his uh, contract. If that Crikey, is the case... That's a bargain. If that is the case, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should be knocking that door down and getting there ahead of Manchester City because there's a scramble on to bring a top-class centre-forward to Manchester and whoever gets Haaland is, is going to be in a very strong position moving forward. Aston Villa beat Palace by three goals to nil. Um, I mean, this has got to be the worst Crystal Palace performance of the season because 7-0 against Liverpool, anyone can do that to you, but 3-0 against a uh, Aston Villa team that were down to 10 men for the majority of the game... That's really worrying for Roy Hodgson, isn't it, Trevor? Yeah, really worrying. I mean, listen, going going to Villa, I think uh, they've been superb under Dean Smith. I think his recruitment's been exceptional. We yeah. keep on talking about Jack and, and stuff like that. But for me, El Ghazi, some of the other players are really starting to set up, step up now. But looking at uh, the way Palace have been performing, I think it's a real concern. You know, I was talking about them maybe six weeks ago and thinking, yeah, Benteke started scoring again. They look really fit. Um, the boy Eze is coming from uh, QPR, starting to look look the part. Zaha looked like he was on flames, but now all of a sudden it seems like the, the winds come out of their sail. They can't defend, can't keep clean sheets, and not scoring a lot of goals. So yeah, I'd be very concerned if I was a Crystal Palace fan. Fourth clean sheet in a row for Aston Villa, um, and Ollie Watkins in particular, I thought played really well at the top of the formation. He worked his socks off. He was absolutely brilliant. I mean, when you've got, I mean, when you're down to ten men for as long as they were, and yet you've you've beaten your opponents on the shot count, twenty to thirteen off, you know, all in, all in and nine to six on target. I mean, that's a real worry, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. I mean, Roy Hodgson was upset after the Liverpool game. I think he'll be even more upset after this one, Crook. Yeah, it's a big few months ahead, actually, for Crystal Palace because they've got an awful lot of players coming to the ends of their contracts. I'm not convinced that Roy Hodgson will still be the Crystal Palace manager at the start of next season. I think there could well be a change there and maybe that's why um, decisions aren't yet being made on contracts 
I think Eddie Howe could be someone who could possibly go in there and and maybe take on a bit of a rebuild job not too far north as far as he's concerned. That will come into his thinking. <laughs> um, but in terms of Aston Villa, they've been excellent in these uh, these first 13 games. And they've got two games in hand, I think, over um, some teams. Yeah. Ollie Watkins has, has fitted into the Premier League like he's played there his whole career. Ross Barkley, when he's fit, was a great signing as well. Jack Grealish has taken his game on to a new level. And as you mentioned, they've got Chelsea next up. I think they could cause problems for Frank Lampard's team. And it's going to be difficult because there are probably six or seven teams who would be better equipped to challenge for Europe than for them but they've got to be starting to think in those terms um, let's move on to Manchester City uh, very quickly uh, 2-0 winners over Newcastle we'll do uh, a little bit more on them when it comes to their next game which is Everton on Monday night uh, Manchester City have won uh, 12 Premier League home games against Newcastle scoring 41 goals and conceding just 7 and they've now kept 13 clean sheets in all competitions this season Trevor which is the most in Europe's top five leagues. So we used to go on about Manchester City being this devastating attacking team. Actually, now they're just brilliant at defending. Yeah, excellent defensively. Uh, I've been saying that all season. I think Ruben Diaz coming in, um, probably been one of the best players at Manchester City this season, alongside Cancelo at left-back, who's right-footed, but he played, he's been playing left-back and doing a superb job. One of the most improved players at Manchester City, for sure. I think John Stone's coming back in, finding that form, getting the opportunity to play central defender has been a massive boost. Listen, we're struggling for goals. They're huffing and puffing. They're doing everything right. 60-70% possession, you know, doing everything that they've been doing in the past apart from finishing off the moves. And, you know, if you've not got Aguero, unfortunately, Jesus, he's just fallen a little bit short. They need to get somebody in because I think the fact that Aguero's missing so many games, Manchester City need to start getting used to having not having Aguero and if that's the case, if they want to start c- competing for the championship, want to start competing in the Champions League, they need a striker. Simple as that. Sheffield United were beaten at home again. Uh, this time by Everton by Colton Hill. Gilfie Sigurdsson with the only goal in that match. It means that it's, uh, uh, I think it's the 13th defeat in 15 games for Sheffield United. Uh, Fulham and Southampton drew nil-nil on Saturday. Crook, anything to say about that? Well, I actually said to you before the game that I thought it was a good chance for Fulham with the absentees. No Danny Ings, no Oriel Romeu, um, no Vestergaard, and he's going to be out for the foreseeable, which is a big blow because his improvement has been remarkable um, since the turn of the year. Fulham played well. I thought Saints tactically were quite clever. They doubled up on Adam Oda-Lutman, Carl Walker-Peters, who if he was left-footed would be um, a shoe-in, I think, for an England call-up. But because he's right-footed, he might struggle. Mm. Um, he, He was excellent again. Two goals correctly ruled out by VAR. A lot of Saints fans complaining, actually, oh, we only got a point away at Fulham. Just remember where you were this time 12 months ago. It's, it's a decent don't, enough don't, result. Don't start on them as well. Crying. Well, seven, seven games unbeaten away from home. That They're not going to play brilliant football every week. And the important thing, when you're not your best, don't lose. Ralph, I love you. Uh, let's move on to Monday. <laughs> Aston Villa 3, Crystal Palace nil, and this will probably be game over now as far as Villa are concerned. Now El Ghazi has got the goal. What a finish that was. 
Uh, Chelsea versus Aston Villa is a 5.30 uh, kickoff on Monday afternoon, live on Talk Sport. And uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi probably going to make a second Premier League start of the season. Uh, Frank Lampard saying he's going to shuffle uh, his pack here. Ziyech is back in contention. There's no Tyrone Mings. Barkley can't play uh, because he's on loan from Chelsea. But this is an important game for Frank Lampard, isn't it? I mean, Chelsea have lost three of the last four after 17 matches unbeaten in all competitions, Trevor. They need to find a way to win this fixture. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult, though, because as we said, you know, I think if uh, Villa played the two games in hand, there'll be a point behind Liverpool uh, in a fantastic position. I think Villa are strong. I really do. I think the fact that Mings is missing, for me, that's that's huge. Um, but he was missing for most of the game against Palace. And I think you've got men at, at Villa that are prepared to take responsibility. Players like McGinn, he'll put in the hard yards and, and make up for having a, a man less on the pitch. I think this is going to be a really difficult game for Chelsea. And if they go into that game thinking anything different, I think they're going to get done. And I think Villa will be very, very competitive in that match. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing that game. If there's one thing that we didn't mention when we were talking about Ollie Watkins earlier on, it was the fact that he's failed to score in six games after getting eight in his first ten. That is a, a situation that he has to, to rectify, isn't it, Crook, if yeah. he wants to be considered for Gareth Southgate's squad? Yeah, of course, strikers are judged on goals, but I think probably unlike Timo Werner, he's contributing in, in other areas. You know, he's assisting people, he's creating chances, he's getting in positions to score chances. I mean, at the moment, Timo Werner is playing on the periphery. You're bullying him now. <laughs> I'm just pointing out facts. <laughs> uh, here's a fact for you. Jorginho has missed three of his last six penalties and is terrible at executing that Bruno Fernandes hop, skip and a jump. Um, he should never, ever be allowed to take a penalty again, should he, Trevor? Oh, it's a difficult one because I think you start, start talking about Maverick, uh, Genius. Is it difficult? About... He missed 50% of the penalties well, that he's no, taken. But you can't take that creativity away from... I mean, listen, Paolo Di Canio used to do different things every time. Sometimes he'd do the Penanka, sometimes he'd drag it into the corner, sometimes he'd lie the keeper down. But and usually score. Would, usually he would score, I have to say that. But if you start saying, don't don't have that run-up or do this different... You're taking that creativity away from players. So you either drop him from taking them or you trust his process that he will get it right again and he'll start scoring from the spot again. But for me, it's it's, it's, a, it's a bit over the top for me, that run-up. And I don't actually see what, what it brings. And that little skip at the end just complicates a simple execution of a drill that you don't need to... Especially, listen, if you're going in a cup final and you've got that run-up and then it's a cup final and you think, am I going to do this run-up again? You've got to have big balls to do it then. Yeah. I stick to a more simple way to go at it and uh, yeah hopefully you can I, I, I advo- target I advocate your first recommendation drop him from taking penalties <laughs> um, Chelsea's tally of 25 points is their second lowest after 15 matches during Abramovich's reign after registering 15 points at this stage in 2015-16 um, look but I suppose the, the league table is such that most people are dropping more points this time around than they they were uh, in previous seasons but as we've already mentioned you know Aston Villa have won 8 of their opening 30 Premier League games they've got a couple of games in hand this is a very very good team and it's going to be a fascinating match it's live on TalkSport at 5.30 okay Uh, Everton versus Manchester City is also live on TalkSport 8 o'clock second placed Everton against Manchester City who would very much like to be second in the table may well be in the not too distant future Uh, talking of goal scorers what's happening to Dominic Calvert-Lewin he's gone for a mini drought hasn't he it's five five games now without scoring a goal what's happened he's working out I think it happens to strikers 
but the good ones have that, that, that calmness. They keep practicing. They keep doing the same movements. The, the opportunities are still falling at Calvert-Lewin's feet. He's just not getting that rub of the green in front of goal. But listen, he's got enough experience around him, even though he's not the most experienced player. You know, you've got Big Dunk with him. You've got Ancelotti. I think he's got enough experience around him to get him through this lean patch and he will come back. He's, he looks like, for me, we're looking at his work rate on the pitch. He brings a lot more. His link-up plays great. He brings a lot more to the table. So he'll keep on doing that. He'll get one coming off his backside or off his knee and that'll be him off again. Yeah, but also he did really score against the, uh, Arsenal, didn't he? He headed it on to uh, Holding and then yeah. one in the net. Yeah. That was really his goal, let's be completely honest about it. Um, Everton have played particularly well in the Premier League. They had a little wobble in the Cup on uh, Wednesday night. But in the in the Premier League, I mean, I mean, this is a very good run, isn't it? You know, the, four, four wins in a row. Uh, what, I mean, I was going to say four clean sheets and it, it was almost four clean sheets. It's three clean sheets and a penalty they conceded against Arsenal, which was because Tom Davis wasn't looking where he was kicking. They haven't conceded a goal from open play for quite some while, have they, Crook? No, and that's remarkable when you, you look at the injuries they've had um, defensively. I think we have to credit Jordan Pickford, who's taken a fair amount of flack, actually, um, in 2020. Um, he is getting back to somewhere near his best. But we've spoken a lot about Manchester City and and, and, and the chances that, that, that they create and, and and the fact that it's not that they're, they're not carving teams open. They're just perhaps not as ruthless as they have been in the past. But somebody is going to be on the end of a hiding. And I, I'm still worried about Everton's squad depth and the players that are out that, that actually if Manchester City could score early they could go there and win quite handsomely I fancy City to win this game and now Eze into the box driving through Zaha for four he's got a second in the afternoon and that surely is that and Crystal Palace will take all three points back to South London and Wilfried Zaha has a brace. Perez round the back, low cross into the centre, Vardy, oh what a finish, what a finish, what an equaliser from Jamie Vardy, the first goal he's ever scored on Boxing Day and what an important goal that is going to be for Leicester City. Uh, okay, Crystal Palace against Leicester is on at three o'clock on Talk Sport as we bring you loads of games back to back to back uh, this uh, bank holiday Monday. Um, uh, obviously, I mean, Leicester is so good away from home that Roy Hodgson will be having nightmares, won't he? Because he's thinking I was considered seven goals against uh, Liverpool, was three against Aston Villa, had ten men, and now Jamie Vardy's coming. Cheers. <laughs> it, it could get a lot worse for Roy Hodgson before it gets better I quite enjoyed watching Leicester at the weekend I thought it was a good game yes Manchester United probably should have won with the chances they missed but but Leicester were brave in, in contrast to what we said about Tottenham they that they wanted to take the game to United Jamie Vardy is it, it just gets better every week which is incredible when you think he's at the veteran stage of, of his career and he will fancy his chances big time against a Crystal Palace defence that that must be low on confidence right now. Just a bit. Just a bit. Trevor, how do you see that one panning out? Well, I think it, obviously it plays into Leicester's hands and their formation and the way they they set up on the break. Quite a deep block. I thought Madison was quite disappointing against Manchester United. I mentioned it to you, well, Sam. It was those was boots, in. I think. I think he was wearing yeah. those weird boots. Oh, they boots. were dodgy. They were dodgy. Yeah, anyone who wears those boots, I mean, yeah. sorry, you've got, you're have got going to have problems, aren't you? There was a couple of occasions where you could see that Casper was going to come and claim the ball in his 18-yard box. And Madison's in the middle of the pitch in a bit of space. And it's almost like, as soon as you see that situation developing, 
you're checking your shoulder, you're getting side on and you, you call him for the ball to go on the counter-attack. And he didn't do that. He was like, he, he almost, I wouldn't say he was hiding from the ball, but he weren't desperate to get on the you ball. Said passive, you said passive, I someone, think, didn't you? You said in the, in the very commentary. Very passive and you look, you look like Bruno. As soon as it, De Gea looked like he was catching the ball, mm. he was, give me that ball. You know, he had a desire to, to be the main man. I'd like to see a little bit more of uh, Madison like that. But I have to say, the goal that Vardy scored was sensational. You know, it was a swivel uh, cross, kind of a, a guess ball from Iozzi, and his movement was sensational. And I know it's gone down as an own goal, but that's Jamie Vardy's goal all day long, and that's what you call a striker. Playing in the future, anticipating, and, and what a finish it was. You, you, you said I was being harsh when I suggested during commentary that it would go down as an own goal. You planted a seed. That's why the goal's been taken off him. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. <laughs> Nine of Jamie Vardy's 11 goals so far this season have been scored in away matches. 12 goals. Uh, so he could well be on the score sheet again. Um, um, the Eagles have only scored two first half goals in their last seven matches. Um, I don't know. I, I just think, you know, at home as well, I think they've lost six of their last 11 uh, since um, lockdown at home at Crystal Palace. I just, Missing the ultras. I, I think I think they'll probably be delighted that the fact that the, the, the fans have not been able to come back in for this Christmas period, I think, because I think it might have been a little bit... Uh, yeah, they, those ultras might well have been quite vocal. Uh, so that's uh, at uh, three o'clock on Monday afternoon. Let's spool forward to Tuesday. We have Brighton versus Arsenal, West Brom versus Leeds, Southampton versus West Ham, Burnley versus Sheffield United. Don't worry about that one. Uh, which one are you doing, Crook? I am at Southampton against West Ham. And that's live um, on the app, isn't it? That's live on the app. Six o'clock kickoff. Again, big game for Southampton um, w- with the injuries to, to try and get back to winning ways. But equally, West Ham are going to have to play a lot better than they did against Brighton. I can see some goals in this game. Um, a, a score draw, possibly, 2-2. Two, two. Um, I, I was being a bit rude about Burnley, Sheffield United. I'm only joking. It's just because, you know, it's not... Hey, listen. It, it might not I be think six. Burnley, yeah? I think Burnley were exceptional today against Leeds. Exceptional, exceptional is, is a big word, isn't it? I mean... I do, honestly. I think they've got a great midfield. They, rem- I, I'm not just saying this. They, some of the football they played today was superb. And they just didn't get that little rub of the green in front of goal. But they were probing down one side. They had great movement, rotation in midfield, going down the other. I thought they were excellent. They've scored eight goals all season, Trevor. I know, but they've had, they've had Barnes missing. He's back now. They're going to start scoring for fun. Okay. And they've had midfielders missing. All right, okay. So uh, maybe that is one you should tune into on the TalkSport app. Burnley versus Sheffield United. Loads of goals from Burnley. And Sheffield United, probably not. Uh, West Brom against Leeds. Interesting fixture. Big Sam trying to outthink Bielsa. Uh, that one, uh, I think, is certainly will get a lot of attention, actually, on Tuesday. Uh, Brighton versus Arsenal will, because Arsenal have got to back up their victory over Chelsea uh, with a victory away down at the Amex Stadium where Brighton they do not win do they I mean I can't remember that I don't think Brighton fans can remember the last time that their team won at home might have been a bit of Arsenal game after lockdown was it probably was yeah that was the last time they won at home yeah I mean I'm just saying off the top of my head I I I don't think they've won they've won too many since then but there'll be a bit of needle won't they because that game um, had an ugly finish if you remember with uh, Gwen Doozy going around the pitch reminding Brighton players that he is uh, substantially richer than them. I, but I, th- but I think he's you're right. now in Germany now, isn't he? Yeah. What a numpty. <laughs> um, but I think I think this will be a tester of, of whether 
Um, this was a, a freak result, the, the win against Chelsea, or if they're genuinely going to turn a corner now. And again, the, the team sheet, when it gets handed in, is, is going to be fascinating. Yes, uh, the last win at home in the Premier League was against Arsenal, that 2-1 victory on the 20th of there June 2020. Look at that. That's what you're here for, Crook. Thank you very much. Trevor and I will be at Manchester United versus Wolves. Eight o'clock kickoff. The only eight o'clock kickoff on uh, Tuesday. And uh, I'm looking forward to this because... I think Wolves are so good towards the end of games. You never know what the result is going to be in a match against Wolverhampton Wanderers, do you, until the full-time whistle is gone? Because their second-half performances are just so much better than their first. Yeah, they need to find a way to start better. I think, um, being quite blunt, because they're always, a lot of the time, they're giving themselves a mountain to climb. But again, you, you have to say, great spirit, good fitness levels. You know, we said at the start of the season because of the short pre-season and gap between last season and this season, the teams with the best sports scientists and fitness coaches will probably do better in their performances and results. And I think Wolves must have a really good sports science department. But for me, this was Manchester United all day long. I think Cavani's going to play. I think he's shown his quality when he came on against Leicester. And I just think they'll have too much room. And especially because like we said, they're in a little bit of transition walls and they're missing their talisman, uh, Ruel Jimenez, which I hope's okay. He was at the game um, against Spurs watching, which is great to see, but I'm not sure how long it's going to be until that young man gets back into back playing football. Absolutely. We do wish him the the very best. Um, uh, Eric Cantona was the name that was bounded around by <coughs> Alex Crook uh, when comparing Bruno Fernandes Big to call. Manchester United uh, players of the past. However, today I asked Sir Andrew Cole whether or not he felt the same way now. And he said there are a lot of similarities between the influence that Eric Cantona had on the team and the influence of Bruno Fernandes, who has had a hand in over half the goals that Manchester United have scored since he signed on the dotted line. Did you tell Andy Cole that was my shout? No, of course not. Why would I have done that? He <laughs> took that one. <laughs> I bet he did. I bet he did. I, I, um, I did a classic crookie. I, I nicked. I nicked somebody else's line for myself. <laughs> but listen, I, I'll stand by it, and I'll stand by the fact. And, and Trev, y- y- you will vehemently disagree. But on current form, I wouldn't swap Bruno Fernandez for Kevin De Bruyne. Um, I think Fernandez is so influential for this Manchester United team. Not just his stats, his goals, his assists. He's a leader. He's talismatic. He's or, not afraid or, to or put even his body on the line. I mean, talismatic sort of means he might be a little bit <laughs> static, but you know, talismatic. But K- K- KDB versus Bruno, who wins in a fight, Trev? Who wins in a fight? Um, well, we'll see, won't we? On the sixth visit in the um, semi-final of the Carabao Cup so we'll see they'll be up against each other listen I think when you look at the physical presence of Kevin De Bruyne I think sometimes you look at two players and you think oh he can do this he can do this but then actually when you boil it down if one of them is slightly a better, a better athlete which I think Kevin De Bruyne is more uh, um, developed in that side of things I think Kevin De Bruyne might be a bit too powerful for him but going back to your shout I think you're quite right you know I've been watching him uh, in the last few weeks, especially because I've been covering the games and I've been so impressed. He, he he demands the ball. He demands... He's not very vocal to his teammates, but I think by his displays and his performances, he, he, he demands a certain level of performance from his teammates. And I think if you're looking at Cantona, I don't think Cantona would have been the most vocal because obviously English wasn't his first language. But I think from his performances and from the way that he puts himself about, he expects everybody else, because he's the most talented, he expects everyone else to do at least that. And I think when you look at Bruno, he has got very similar 
contributions to that Manchester United side. Fernandez is massively vocal. He is massively vocal. He's constantly talking to people and he, he he's quite happy to tell people what he thinks, which is why I think mm. he got into a fight in the dressing room earlier in the season. Uh, he, he turned around to, uh, on Saturday after the game, someone said to him, uh, oh, that, that was a bit of a scrappy assist that you got for uh, the Rashford goal. Did you mean it? And he went, no, but I deserved it because I gave him a better one earlier in the game and he missed it. So I should have had one already. <laughs> <laughs> he's struggling for confidence then, isn't he? Fantastic. Right, okay, let's move on to Wednesday's games. Yeah, um, it's Newcastle, Liverpool and Tottenham, Fulham on Wednesday night. Trev, we're going to Newcastle, aren't we, together? In fact, how many games are we doing together over this Christmas period? Are you doing the Manchester United, Manchester City semi-final with me as well? Yes. Yes. Should we just move in together? Come on. Let's just, yeah. just, just get it over. Um, now, that yeah. would be a good documentary. <laughs> <laughs> he caught, do you know what, right? We've been doing these 5K runs over the course of December, haven't we, Trev? And uh, he regularly calls me a tortoise. Um, so, uh, not necessarily sure how that would work. Uh, Newcastle versus Liverpool is an 8 o'clock game. I mean, if you're Steve Bruce, are you just hoping that it isn't any more than four, Trevor? Oh, you know what? I mean, or, or do you, or do you follow the playbook of Big Sam? No, I think he's got to he's got to play that way. Else, they'll get taken apart. If they go toe to toe with Liverpool, it could be a cricket score. So I think Steve Bruce has not got a choice, but he has to play parking the bus. He has to play that technique. And um, is Bruce he's sitting there him. thinking, "Oh my God, cheers, Sam. Thank you very oh. much for for poking the beast." Yeah, I think so because the fans are not having him. And I think you look at the the points that they've um, earned this season, and they're in a decent position in the league. Um, and the fans are still not having him. And I know they've not played the most attractive football. And you know, there's 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 calls for um, you know that Rafa did a better job, and this play is not good enough. And I think they've recruited quite well. I feel um, that, you know it's really competitive this season. You look at the teams that are around them. I think they're doing okay, but the fans want that kind of 1995 style of football and it's just not realistic uh, to, to, to be honest with you I, I mean we've had this debate a lot and we've been charged with watching them in detail to make up our own minds and, and none of us want to have to do that again so when you uh, when when you've been there on on Wednesday night St James's Park I'll ask you again whether or not you you you, you enjoyed yourself I mean you probably will do watching Liverpool but Newcastle I watched them against Brentford the other day and it was it was bad. It was yeah, really, really bad. Um, and I, I think when they've because they've invested in Fraser and Wilson, they were expecting a, a better brand of football, and they they haven't quite got it. Do you go for this this sort of COVID thing? As in, like it's had a major effect, and it is stopping some of their the better athletes from performing. Yeah, it's got to come into it. You know, the, the, I think they've almost missed games, or they have missed games uh, because. The COVID outbreak's been quite harsh in Newcastle and the North East and within their squad. But I think when you're missing that real mavericks of your team that bring a spark to the team, um, like St. Maxim, I think he's an exceptional talent. And I know he blows hot and cold. Most creative players do. But when he's hot, he's very, very good. And uh, I think they've missed him. Uh, Almiron, I'm, I'm a fan of his. I think I'd like to see him play more because at times he's benched. But again, it's it's, it's a balancing act. They've got a lot of games, the fixtures, they've got, and they've not got the most talented depth of squad. So you know you have to play your play the, the players where you feel you get points. And um, yeah, it's a difficult juggling for uh, for Steve Bruce because the fans are not having him, and it's clear. And I'm not sure I was going to turn it around unless he's being given 
a load of money in January to, to bring new recruitments in and, and then maybe he'll be able to play a little bit more expansive football. Uh, Tottenham Fulham is on before that on Talk Sport and uh, yeah, Fulham have got a habit of conceding early goals. If that's the case, Scott Parker will be isolating because somebody in his family has uh, come into contact with COVID-19. What, what do you expect from this game, Crook? I would expect Tottenham to take an early lead, sit back on it, and then see if Fulham are good enough to uh, to earn a point. Now, I'd, I'd like to think that Jose would have learned his lesson from this Wolves game. Fulham are clearly a team that if Tottenham plays their full potential, play on the front foot, they can beat. Um, and I think if, if, if he does adopt a negative approach, I'm just scrolling through social media there, there will be a lot of very angry Tottenham fans come the end of the game yeah um, I, I put out a tweet earlier on suggesting that you know you, you can't afford to just in a Premier League game against any sort of half decent side you can't afford to sit back on an advantage and hope you've done enough you have to go out and win a Premier League game Trevor yeah, absolutely. And uh, Tottenham at home, I mean, what a fantastic stadium. But I like Fulham. I think um, Scott's recruited really well. I think the boy Anguissa has yes. been hugely impressive for me. He's, he looks like he's one of them coaches in the centre of the park that even when he's got the ball, you don't want to engage him because he's too strong and too his he's ball control's too good. Um, he pinches yeah, it really well. Player. Yeah, and, and obviously Luckman's come across. He looks really bright. He's brave. Um, he looks like he could embarrass a few fullbacks as well. So I like uh, they've got a lot going forward now. And you know, if you can try and integrate Mitrovic into that somewhere, shape or form, where he can be um, integral to, to that group of forward players, I think they'll get a hatful of goals anytime soon. But um, yeah, you would expect Tottenham to win this at home, uh, but it's no play sailing, no playing sailing in the Premier League anymore, especially against. Uh, a decent Fulham side. Uh, looking forward to it. Newcastle versus Liverpool with Trevor and I on Wednesday night after the Tottenham Fulham game. Uh, Tuesday night, Wolves Manchester United with Trevor and I. Uh, Monday night, um, he's left me with Danny Mills. I, on my sheet, it did say Trevor, uh, but Danny Mills is coming instead. Well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, what were you just having a day off, relaxing, too tiring for you to do, to do three in a row? Yeah, and it, just the white flag came up. All oh, right, okay. I just said, give me, give me a day, give Cro- me a day. Crook, what, what did you buy me for Christmas, by the way? Um, 19 years we've been pals what what, 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 what did you buy me uh, what did you buy me Trevor what did you buy me um, I bought you a, a Cadbury's chocolate bar with uh, Sam on it you did a personalised Cadbury's chocolate oh, bar oh that's nice that isn't is it? Sweet, that is isn't nice it, eh? it was from the service stations it was last minute <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got right. me some eggs that I was a few days earlier so I thought I felt a bit guilty so I thought I better get you some eggs yeah, yeah not chocolate <laughs> eggs just, just random eggs just put them you know there's the happy eggs that you get um, as you do <laughs> right that's it from us uh, we'll be back on New Year's Eve to preview all the action for the weekend with Darren Lewis and Alex Crook and um, remember to download the TalkSport app not only can you get a hold of the game day podcast there but also you'll be able to get access to all 10 of this week's round of Premier League matches The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes the latest odds we set them Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.